This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Coaching carousel news everywhere you look. Good morning. It is Thursday, November 18th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. In just a minute, we're going to be joined by Evan G. Watkins, VT Scoop reporter, 24-7 Sports' Virginia Tech site. What's next for Virginia Tech? Can that still be a really good job? And why did it go oh so wrong with Justin Fuente the last few seasons? Before that, though... My goodness, the last few hours of the afternoon as I sit here and record this, we got Bruce Feldman saying Lincoln Riley's probably staying at Oklahoma. LSU, though, is very, very, very interested. Some reports out there that they would offer him $10 million a year to to leave Oklahoma, a move I wouldn't really understand. They're both in the SEC at this point. I think Oklahoma is an extremely good program. I think LSU would be an easier place to recruit to. So perhaps wherever Lincoln Riley goes, he'll have a great offense and a great quarterback will follow him. But maybe, though, with the with the LSU, with the Louisiana backyard, you can recruit a little bit better quality athlete on the defensive side of the football. Not that Oklahoma is struggling at all on the recruiting trail. We'll see what happens. The fact that, that it was addressed by Feldman kind of, give, kind of gives a little extra legs to that storyline. And we've also got a report out of East Lansing, although it hasn't been you know signed yet or anything like that so we'll we'll have to see what happens but michigan state is prepared to drop an absolute bag at mel tucker's doorstep an annual deal that would pay him around nine million dollars a year a year would be one of the five highest paid coaches in college football wow good for him he's just now wrapping up his second year in east lansing season's not even over yet I just incredible, uh, incredible story. That uh, would be the highest paid black coach in college football. So that's awesome uh, and, and good for Michigan State. I, I like to see uh, a program like that stepping up big. We'll see if this officially quiets any noise about Mel Tucker to LSU. LSU's getting a lot of people money. It l- looks like so. Keep an eye on that. Nothing's uh, nothing's official in college football until it's signed on the dotted line. Uh, back to Virginia Tech. I'm excited for this episode. Virginia Tech is it's not it's not a tennis it's not in Nebraska. It's not in Texas. It's not one of those those automatic slam dunk schools where you say college football is better when X is good. But I'm always a little nostalgic for Virginia Tech. I think those of us at a certain age, we grew up, Michael Vick, the Marcus Vick, awesome home environment, competing for championships, Frank Beamer, Bud Foster, the lunch pail I think they had. And when I think of Vodtech, I think of Lane Stadium and Inner Sandman. But I also think of great defensive backs, great special teams. I think of a, a usually a pretty good running back. I think of a tough place to play. I want that stuff back. I want it back at Virginia Tech. I, I'm nostalgic for Virginia Tech, and I am pining to see them return to relevancy because I haven't watched any of them this season except for the, the week one win over North Carolina. I would like an excuse to, to make Virginia Tech part of my Saturday programming. So here's Evan Watkins on whether the Hokies can return to that level of glory. All right, Evan Watkins joins us. Evan, it felt like this was inevitable the last few weeks, maybe the last few months, and even a year or two. How would you describe the mood around the program as this has been working its way to a conclusion, I don't know, the entire year? Yeah, I think everybody knew 
at the end of the uh, you know the end of the the COVID year that it just wasn't the right time for optics to to uh, go through hiring and firing of a coaching staff, especially at Virginia Tech where they had laid off a lot of the athletic department and they had taken ten or more percent pay cut uh, for a lot of the employees that remained just to try and offset some costs. So I think everyone knew last year that that Justin Fuente would probably have this coming year. But this was probably going to be it. I think the writing was on the wall for a while. You know, if you didn't have COVID and you didn't have the the offset of the funds, probably last year would be the year that he would have been fired. But I think everyone knew what was going to happen this year. I think that the biggest thing uh, around the fan base and and, you know, the message boards and all of that is the timing of it. You know, Justin Fuente was fired after a commanding win on senior day or mutually decided to part ways, I should say, after a big home win. I mean, a few weeks ago inside Lane Stadium, there were fire Fuente chants. Uh, Everybody heard it Uh, when you are losing, you know, at home in the last three, four, five minutes of the games that you should be winning, you know, when you are uh, up two scores and still end up finding a way to lose the game. I think everyone knew that the Justin Fuente era was coming to an end. Uh, I think really the timing was kind of the interesting thing. Since the, uh, you know, the parting of ways, we've heard it's been kind of somber up there in Blacksburg. I think a lot of the players maybe felt like it was a little bit disrespectful with two big games coming up, Miami and UVA, both of which are considered rivals uh, for the Hokies. Uh, you know, you win win one of those and you can be bowl eligible. So I think, uh, you know, I think some of the fans or some of the players, excuse me, may have wanted to ride it out uh, because the players seemed to really like him. Um, you know, there was there was always a disconnect between what a lot of the fans thought and what the, the players thought. You know, a lot of the players really did like Justin Fuente, but I think the writing's been on the wall. You know, we've seen the decline on the field. There's been a decline in recruiting. Um, there was obviously a disconnect between uh, what Justin Fuente wanted the vision of the program to be versus what the community around Virginia Tech wanted. Uh, the lack of engagement, the lack of uh, access to the program. I think everyone is kind of ready. I think uh, we all knew what was happening and kind of excited to see where the future goes now uh, with the second coaching search. First first coach, you know, quote unquote, fired uh, in, in three decades. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how Virginia Tech handles it now that we're about 36 hours after the, uh, the mutual parting of ways. So you know, we're in a little bit of uncharted waters, but it's going to be fun. The timing too the buyout would have dropped a little bit by mid-December. But if you wait that out, then you lose the opportunity to bring a new coach in before the early signing period. So I assume, Evan, that that was... And you, you're saying mutual parting, parting of ways, but they, they fired him, right? Like this was... Did, did Fuente want to leave? No, I, I'm, I mean, I think in, for all intents and purposes, legal firing. Yeah. yeah, I think they're just kind of mutual parting of ways. They negotiated the buyout down. Uh, the AD spoke yesterday. It was... I believe he was due ten million if he had waited it out until I think it was December sixteenth. Off the top of my head, they uh, negotiated it down to eight point seven five to go ahead and and walk away with uh, with some cash in the pocket. A lot of cat, a lot more money than a lot of us will ever see in our lives. Cash in the pocket to uh, to go on to 
other endeavors or, you know, Justin Fuente, he's got, he's got a few young daughters. He's really a family guy. I wouldn't be surprised to maybe see him take a little time off and just be kind of a dad for a little while. I know the the grind at Virginia Tech has weighed on him heavily over the last few years. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was time to go and they negotiated the buyout down for an early, kind of an early termination type of deal. Did a uh, episode earlier in the week on the Washington job. And on that episode, I focused a lot on the candidates. I don't want to do that as much for this one. Jamie Chadwell's, I, I saw Sportsline has his odds on favor or the leading favorite. You know, there's other guys too. And, and at the end of our discussion, I'll, I'll get the guy from you who you think would make the best fit. I think Virginia Tech's just a really interesting job to a lot of people though, Evan, especially of a certain age, come up watching college football and Virginia Tech's on your TV in these cool uniforms with these really fun players to watch and, and a great home environment too. Do, do you think that Virginia Tech, the way college football is currently constructed can give back to, I'm not going to say like competing literally for a national championship, but can it be a great job again? I think so. We've touched on this over the last you know 24 hours or so that while the product on the field fairly remained solid. You know, if you look at Frank Beamer's last few years and you look at Justin Fuente's tenure, yes, he had a 10-year or a 10 uh, a 10 win season and went to the uh, ACC Championship game uh, in 2016, followed it up with a 9 uh, you know, a 9 win season, but then after that it fell off a cliff uh, for what expectations should be. But it fell back to about what Frank Beamer's last four years were. So on the field, I think it stayed somewhat consistent. But off the field, the things a lot of fans maybe don't realize, Justin Fuente did a lot of work behind the scenes to rebuild the infrastructure of the Virginia Tech football program. Every square foot of the football facilities have been redone. They opened up a new uh, football nutrition center. They redid the weight room recently, um, built a huge weight room. Uh, they're, they're finishing up the players' lounge. The up next will be a locker room uh, renovation with, you know, the new new hot tubs, new cold tubs, all of that. So all of the facilities, you know, they just put in brand new dorms as well that are modeled after Alabama. So they definitely put the money into building the infrastructure behind the scenes uh, for recruiting and for the student athletes. Uh, you know, the, the athletic director spoke uh, yesterday about dumping a lot of money into, into the uh, recruiting department for whoever the new coach is to beef that all up. And all of that seems to be a direct correlation of what Justin Fuente had asked for, uh, but maybe never really got a chance to fully utilize or fully receive uh, before the termination. So, you know, on the field, I think Virginia Tech is always going to be a job that's pretty coveted because you're you're in the ACC, so you are going to be, you know, you're going to be a, a national recognized program. You're in the ACC Coastal, so you don't really have that much competition. You have North Carolina that has been recruiting well, but hasn't been playing as well as they should. You have Miami, who's up and down on every year. And then you have Virginia Tech. You know, I think those are the kind of the three teams. Pittsburgh will get in there every now and again, like they are this year and be a good program. But if you can continue to be one of those top two teams or so in the ACC Coastal, and you can recruit in the top four of the entire ACC, obviously you have Florida State, Clemson, and Miami that are going to be your three big recruiting schools. North Carolina has been surging over the last few years. If you can be in that four, maybe five range of recruiting and you can lock down the state of Virginia, there's a lot of talent in the state of Virginia. If you can pick some of the best players from the state and keep them home, I think you have an easier road 
to a conference championship than a lot of other programs do. And if you can, you know, walk through the the ACC Coastal or, or come through unscathed and go to the ACC championship game, let's say maybe against a Florida State or a Clemson, and you were to win that game, you potentially could be a dark horse for a playoff team. So I think Virginia Tech's infrastructure, facilities, and path to a potential playoffs or path to a conference championship lines up to be a really uh, attractive program for a lot of coaches. Yeah, Brandon Huffman right now has it number five as far as recruiting opportunity uh, among the 12 open FBS jobs. And and you're right, there's a lot of talent in Virginia. And uh, you know, right now as well, it's, it's kind of North Carolina's crushing it there. So you would assume that this Virginia Tech hire will have to fortify that. I have a question about recruiting though. I remember pre-pandemic, Evan, one of the last episodes I did before the pandemic hit and, and you know the, the news cycle changed was like what in the world was going on with Virginia Tech's 2020 recruiting class? It doesn't make any sense when you look at the numbers. This was a class that ranked 76th nationally and 14th, so dead last in the conference. The year before, it was 26th nationally and third in the conference. I have to ask, not just the 2020, because I know 2021 wasn't very good either. Was that an effort thing? Was it a didn't care thing? Like I know the ratings aren't end-all be-all, but from your perspective, what was going on there? I think we started to see a shift of Virginia Tech trying to out-evaluate a lot of players or a lot of other programs instead of going out and trying to get the best players. You know, we I don't have a problem with coaches, you know, bringing kids to camp, working them out, getting a good uh, look at them and then, you know, evaluating themselves before deciding to pursue. But, you know, you can't out evaluate everyone. You can't out-evaluate the industry. You can for one or two kids. You can't for an entire class. And I think that's what we started to see Virginia Tech trying to shift to, trying to shift to this program that could out-evaluate a lot of guys and become a really good developmental program. But the issue is when you do that, you have to be good at developing players. Uh, And we haven't seen that. We used to see that all the time under Frank Beamer. Uh, But under Justin Fuente, year after year, it seemed like you know, one or two players would progress and the rest rest would either stay the same or regress. Uh, and that was really, you know, really kind of a pivotal moment of, you know, Virginia Tech had, they didn't have a lot of numbers. They tried to swing on some guys and missed. And then you try to out-evaluate a bunch of guys and load up on some guys. Maybe over the summer, uh, they tried to go down to Texas and recruit a couple guys from there that ended up decommitting. So it was just kind of a, it, it was an all-out mess. Um, Virginia Tech's biggest uh, fallback, in my opinion, with Justin Fuente was not coming in and trying to win the state of Virginia. It was like uh, Justin Fuente arrived and thought, I can recruit nationally, like maybe like a Notre Dame does or some other programs. When you're in Virginia, that has a lot of talented players, and it really turned off a lot of high school coaches. So, you know, I think that was one of the biggest issues that he had. And I think maybe the first couple of cycles, you saw some guys that still wanted to play for the old Virginia Tech, guys that grew up fans, guys that saw the 10-win game uh, season, the nine-win season and thought, you know, maybe things are on the upswing. But then it all started to come crashing down later in the tenure. Uh, and, you know, I think Virginia Tech did a good job this class landing some in-state guys that they needed to land. But I don't think that was a product of Justin Fuente. I actually think that was a product of Justin Hamilton, the defensive coordinator, and Ryan Smith, the corners coach, really making a concentrated effort to lock down the state of Virginia. There's still a lot of guys that got away, 
but they actually landed some good guys, two four stars out of this out of the state that hadn't been done in in you know a few years, uh, and started to turn the recruiting around just a little bit. High school coaches were talking more about Virginia Tech maybe than they had in the past. And I think those two guys are really the credit for it. I think Justin Fuente is maybe uh, just the byproduct of it. Yeah, to your point, to have right now the number 20 recruiting class in the country, despite a lame duck coach for most of the cycle, that's that's rather nice. All right, last question for you, Evan. We'll get you out of here. Give me uh, give me your guy. Who's the top of the hot board? Who's, who's the, uh, who do you make the, the godfather offer to first before you move on? You know, if it's if we're talking realistic, I mean, it, yeah, I think, realistic. I think yeah, you yeah, would yeah. look at Luke Fickle would be the guy, but that's not realistic. So let's you know, let's get that out of the way. I think personally, I like uh, you know, I like Charles Huff. I know he doesn't have head coaching experience much. He's only been at Marshall for you know half of a season or almost you know, three quarters of a season. But the schools he's been at, the coaches he's coached under, the way he recruits and what Virginia Tech says they want, you know, a guy that can be a CEO type, not a micromanager, can win over the state, can win over the fans, can win over the media and can be, you know, a an energetic guy to come in, uh, you know, rejuvenate Virginia Tech football. I really like that guy. I think a lot of people are talking a lot about uh, Dave Clawson right now to Wake Forest. I'm a bit hesitant there because I think he has done a great job this year, but his whole body of work to me is not going to live up to what Virginia Tech's expectations are on the recruiting trail uh, and in the win and loss column. I think Huff is a guy that could come in and pay immediate dividends recruiting the region. Now, it would definitely be dependent on putting together a staff because he is very green. But I think, uh, you know, if it were me calling the shots, that might be the way that I go. But, uh, you know, the Virginia Tech athletic director has already made two somewhat questionable hires for football in the past with Tommy Tuberville at Cincinnati and Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. So a third one could be pretty rough on his career moving forward. Maybe he goes with a safer option, somebody that's a bit more seasoned. But me, I'd I'd go high risk, high reward. I'd go after Charles Huff. It's just funny how it works. Because when when Babcock got Justin Fuente, that was like one of the coups of the cycle. So it's just... But yeah, uh, Charles Huff, I don't think I was expecting you to give me that name, but I like it. He's recruited. He was the 24-7 sports uh, recruiter of the year last year. I mean, he did a great job at Bama. He's done a good job at Penn State, too, as a recruiter. I like that a lot, Evan. I uh, I appreciate the off-the-beaten-path one. Although, as a noted Dave Clawson guy, I have to say the job he's done at Wake Forest, that's, that's a pretty good job. But you would want to bring the OC with him, too. You wouldn't just want Dave Clawson, I think. So, all right, man, we appreciate you. And, oh, real quick. Don't even need an answer, but timeline, do you think before the early signing period? I would think that would be ideal. Um, okay. You know, I think I, I think we were hearing initially that we thought that Fuente, uh, you know, would probably be fired after the UVA game, which was right around Thanksgiving, which would then give about two weeks before early signing period. This gives a two week uh, kind of a runway into that. I would think ideally, you know, if I'm calling any of the shots, I think ideally they want something done before the early signing period. All right. Evan Watkins, appreciate you. Absolutely. Anytime. Okay. Thanks to Evan for joining us. Follow him on Twitter. If you want to learn more about Virginia Tech's coaching search at Evan G. Watkins 247. Our producer is Lance Glenn. My name is Trey Scott. Have a great Thursday. We'll be back on Friday to preview week 12's best games on the College Football Daily. CB 
CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.